As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down. Let's go down. Come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down, come on, brothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, fathers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, mothers, let's go down. Come on down, don't you wanna go down? Come on, mothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Today's welcome and sermon are pre-recorded. I welcome you to the heart of Jesus today. Many of us have come here today in absolute desperation for Jesus to hear and answer our prayers. Hebrews 5 speaks specifically to this issue and how and why Jesus was heard by his and our Father. Please turn to Hebrews 5, starting with verse 7. Jesus, in the days of his flesh, offered up both prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears to the one being able to save him out of death and was heard because of his obedient fellowship. He learned obedience from the things which he suffered, and after having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all the ones obeying him. Going back to verse 8, I'm going to reread this with some of the Greek terms identified. He learned submission from the things which he experienced. And after having been made complete, he became the author of perpetual deliverance to all the ones obeying him. 
Jesus was heard because of his reverence and submission to God. Verse 11, concerning whom we have much to say and is hard to explain since you've become dull in your hearing. Since you've become lazy in your hearing. If you want Jesus to answer and hear your prayers, you must make a conscious effort not to be lazy in what Jesus would have to say to you, but instead to be actively invested in Jesus. For indeed being obligated to be teachers because of the time delay, again you have need that someone teach you the fundamentals of the beginning of the oracles of God. In fact, you've become ones having need of milk and not solid food. Now the one enjoying milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature. Because of practice, the senses having been exercised to discern both good and evil. Verse 14, solid food is for the mature. Because of habit, the perception is trained to discern what is beautiful and what is worthless. That word good in the Greek is kalos, and it means beautiful. So Jesus will hear and answer us when we become actively invested in him and what he's doing. And when we begin to focus on the beautiful things, and turn away from all that is worthless to Jesus. First of all, what is worthless to Jesus? What could be worthless to Jesus? Selfishness, bitterness, anger, pride, willfulness and demanding that Jesus do what you want, complaining, holding on to the possessions of this world, Sin is worthless to Jesus. But what is beautiful? There's so much that is beautiful to Jesus. Love. Especially those that are unlovable. Especially those that might put themselves against you as your enemy. Walking with purity. No matter what your emotions and your feelings say. Innocence, humbly submitting under the mighty hand of God. These are the beautiful things that we're to focus on. Hebrews 10, it's actually all over the word, um, all over the Bible, this word beautiful, kalos. But I love this verse. Starting at verse 23, may we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for the one having promised is faithful. And may we consider one another to encourage love and kalos works, beautiful things, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, but encouraging one another. So we're called to encourage one another to focus on the beautiful things of Jesus and cast aside all that is worthless. 
no matter what our emotions say. So on this Mother's Day, let's stand together, focusing on how we're to walk in the beauty of Jesus. Welcome to the National Prayer Chapel. The message today is entitled, The Glory of Mother. The Glory of Mother. Let's pray. Lord, as I share this message that you've given to me, would you expand our horizon? Would you expand our understanding that we could see the glory of God? Lord, as you give birth to a people. Lord, thank you for each mother who is here. Let your blessing rest upon them. Lord, strengthen them and encourage them. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I need to paint with a broad brush a picture today for you. An understanding that the idea of mother comes straight from the heart of God. Mothers are very special people to him. And a mother's prayer is most especially effective in praying for their children. Because mothers represent the glory of God, the heart of God. Now, when we go back in the scriptures, we find Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis The Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And Abraham, this strong man who has this incredible Blessing from God. He tries to give away that through which God intended to bring the blessing. He tells Pharaoh, she's not my wife, she's my sister. Go ahead, take her. What? The very instrument by which God intends to bring about all of the blessing of mankind. The wife, the mother. But Abraham didn't value her yet because she wasn't a mother yet. The birthing was in the process. Then you go from Abraham to Moses. God has placed his precious people, 71 in total, into the womb of Egypt. And God intends to birth out of Egypt his people. So he sends Moses. Moses sees a bush burning, and his curiosity got him into trouble. He went to see why the bush was burning, but not burning up. So he goes and stands in front of it, and a voice comes out of that burning bush. 
We find it in the third chapter of the book of Exodus. Verse 3. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, the Lord called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I've observed the misery of my people in Egypt. And I've heard them crying out because of their oppressors. God is saying, I've I've seen the struggle you have in the womb. And it's time for you to be delivered. And I'm going to bring you out. Verse 10, therefore go, I am sending you to Pharaoh, so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses says, God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I to deliver this child? I don't know how to deliver a child. He argues with God. But God gives him a very clear answer. Verse 12, I will certainly be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I have sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. So now we get a picture. God is forming a people, a corporate people he's forming. He's bringing them out of Egypt, out of the womb. He's bringing them into the desert, and he's cutting them off from all culture. He is going to establish in them the culture of heaven. He's going to teach them the laws. He brings them like a little child into the wilderness, and there he provides them with manna. He provides them with everything they need. The clothes don't wear out. They have all that they need in that wilderness. He provides water for them. Everything is provided. Are you cold? That's what jackets are for. Come on, Mama. Lean forward. Pull it tight around you. Jesus loves mamas. Now you understand. The children of Israel are in the wilderness. Which of the children of Israel are predestined? Which of the children of Israel did God foreknow and predestine for eternity? None of them. What did God do? He predestined the children of Israel to be born out of Egypt. He predestined a people, not an individual. And so... Those who walked in disbelief, those who walked in rebellion, died in the wilderness. But did the children of Israel go into the promised land? Yes or no? Did the children of Israel go into the promised land? 
Yes. But many died in the wilderness. They were not predestined to go into Cana land. It was the children of Israel that was predestined to go into Cana land. So they could die in the wilderness and he would take their children and he would bring their children into the promised land because God was not predestining an individual. He was predestining a people. Now this is the model that we find in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a model of what's going to happen in the New Testament. So if we look now at Peter, Peter, the first chapter, to the elect, verse 1, to the elect sojourners, to the elect strangers, to the called strangers. Many are called, but few are chosen. Now I'm going to show you that in the New Testament, an individual is not predestined for salvation. A people is predestined for salvation called the church. Many are called to be a part of the church, but few are chosen because they utterly reject powerful promises of God regarding their lives. They will not walk in conformity to the will of God. They cast off the yoke of Jesus we must utterly destroy in our minds the notion that some people are predestined for hell and some are predestined for salvation. God is calling every man, John 3.16. We are all called, but we are not all chosen. All of the children of Israel were called, but many were not chosen. Why? Hebrews tells us because of unbelief. They kept going their own way. They refused to love the Lord God of heaven. Now, there are lots of reasons to decide not to love the Lord God of heaven. The devil comes with every temptation, with every unequal yoking, with every temptation with every busyness out of the tree of the knowledge of good, every possible confusion will come upon us. But I want you to notice those who are chosen. If you look with me, verse 3, let's just read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one according to to his great mercy, having caused us to be born again or born from above into a living hope by means of the resurrection of Jesus Christ out from among the dead. 
to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and unfading, having been reserved in the heavens for you. All of us have a heritage that's reserved for us. Will all of us receive that heritage? No. Remember, many are called, few are chosen, because few will choose the way of Jesus Christ. The ones being kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So this revelation of the final birthing of God's people will not be evident until the end of time. Already through the ages, he's been bringing forth people who were faithful even unto death. He's doing the same process right now. And if bitterness rises in our hearts, if unbelief rises in our hearts, and we turn away from the living God, we're not destined for salvation. We've just been called for salvation. Now notice, in that you greatly rejoice, though for a little while now it is necessary, having been grieved by various trials, Same thing the children of Israel went through. They were grieved by many trials. They were grieved by the same old manna day after day. I mean, come on. Graham crackers are delicious until you've eaten them for a year. And then you begin to say, you know what? I'd like some chicken. I'd like some beef. I don't like this graham cracker. I don't like this manna. Give me something else. Never mind that it's a perfectly balanced meal. Some of you will not eat the same thing two evenings in a row. You think you are being desperately treated if you have to eat the same meal twice. Never mind that it's spiced just right. Never mind that it's cooked perfectly. I had that yesterday. What do you think about manna? I mean, how many ways can you cook manna? You can grind it up and bake it. You can grind it up and make porridge out of it. You can grind it up and make crackers out of it. But it still tastes like a honey wafer. I mean, how many ways can you eat graham crackers? You know, I like to soak them in milk. They had milk. They had goat milk. They had... Maybe other kinds of milk. Maybe camel milk. I don't know. It's hard to make graham cracker pancakes. I would want to eat them. Would you? Look, the children of Israel were grieved by the sun. They were grieved by not having the flesh pots of Egypt. They were grieved by the rabble that was always starting a fight. They were grieved the the authority of Moses over them. They were grieved by the fighting. Miriam getting mad at Moses because of who he married. He married a black woman, a Cushite, and Miriam was mad because she didn't like that Moses brought this Cushite woman in. And now she held a position of authority because she was Moses' wife. I think they had some uncomfortable family dinners. 
there were battles going on among the children of Israel. I'm sure husbands were fighting with wives. Wives were fighting with husbands. They were tried in the wilderness. It says, we will also be tried. We need the proof of our faith, more precious than perishing gold, yet being tested by fire. In other words, the same testing that the children of Israel went through, we are going through now. You don't just find salvation and then walk through and everything's smooth. There's suffering that we now are going to go through to test whether or not we will believe the word of God, whether we will obey the word of God, or whether we're going to let other people influence us and cause us in our pleasing nature. A man I knew was having a terrible fight with his wife. And he finally said to me, Pastor, I'm going to make peace with my wife. She's wrong. I know she's wrong. But I'm going to make peace with her because she's ready to leave me. And he said, I don't want to be alone. And so I'll make peace with her just so I don't have to be alone. And maybe we can finally get past this war. So he went and apologized, and it wasn't his fault. He made peace, even though it wasn't his fault. He didn't want to be alone. So whatever the cost, he was willing to pay it. So she would cook his food. So she would iron his clothes. So she would make a home for him. He knew how to do all of that. He was a gourmet cook. But he hated his own cooking. He wanted her to cook. It's amazing what we'll do to keep the peace. And thank God we do. What will we do to keep peace with Jesus? What will we do to keep peace with Jesus? This salvation, the prophets of old wanted to look into it. They wanted to see what it was about. They were eager to understand it. They saw the birthing of their people out of Egypt. They knew the presence of God was among them. But their heart was crying out to understand what did all of this mean? And they were looking forward to the coming of Messiah. But they were under the old covenant. The new covenant fulfills the law and the old covenant. So the new covenant is much more glorious than the old. But let's be plain. This birthing of the children of Israel was just symbolic of the birthing of the church. So the children of Israel were not predestined into salvation. The whole nation was predestined. God said, I'm going to have a people. I'm going to establish a city. They're going to represent me in the world. Likewise, 
He predestined a church, not an individual. Now let's go to the New Testament, please. Let's look at Romans 8, 26. Now in like manner also the Spirit takes hold with us against our weaknesses. The war goes on in our hearts between good and evil. That war is joined by the Holy Spirit when we divorce the devil. And he stands against any weakness in our heart. He says, we know not what thing we might pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself meets with us in our behalf with unutterable groanings. So the one searching the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, so that in accordance with God, he pleads in behalf of the holy ones, the church. Now we know that all things work together for good, for the ones loving God, for the ones being called according to his purpose. Please understand, this is not saying that everything in your life is going to work according for the good for you. That's not what it's saying. That's taking this passage totally out of context. This passage is in the plural. He's saying, when you are a part of the body of Christ, he is going to do everything in his power for the good of the church. And when you are a part of the church, everything is going to work for the good in your life because you are part of the church. If you're not part of the church, everything is not going to work for the good for you. Because God's plan is to predestine a people, not an individual. I've watched as individuals have come to Christ and then blown out. Why have they blown out? Because they've had a stubborn heart an unbelieving heart. Same reason the children of Israel died in the wilderness. Every man has to choose. Will you respond to the call of the Holy Spirit in your heart? Or will you rebel against the Holy Spirit and refuse to allow him to intercede for you? Follow with me. Watch the context carefully. Verse 29, he's saying, Let's go back to 28, and I'll read right through that. Now we know that all things work together for good for the ones, plural, loving God for the ones, plural, being called according to his purpose, because whom he foreknew, he also predestined to similarities of the image of his son. The word whom in the Greek, it's in the plural, not singular. It's in the plural. So because whom he foreknew, that is literally he knew of beforehand to appoint as subjects of future benefits. God has always had from the very beginning the idea that I will have a people. And he gave us that symbolic understanding in the Old Testament with the children of Israel. The children of Israel represented the church under the Old Covenant. Now in the New Covenant, there is a church. 
And it's that church with whom he's working out everything according to his will. And he's saying he knew beforehand what he was going to do. He always planned that he would have a bride. He always knew he wanted a bride. And he took the weakest, I think, of all of his creation, Adam and Eve. And he said, I'm going to make them my bride. He also predestined. I want to break that down. It means that from the beginning of eternity, he determined that he would have a holy church, a church in the image of his son. They would share the divine image. They would be like the son of righteousness. And so Jesus became flesh and dwelled among us, that he could be one with us as brothers. To similarities, that is, to be like God, to be like Jesus, a holy people who would be transformed by the power of the blood and by the power of the, of the Holy Spirit coming and interceding for us and praying against our weaknesses, encouraging us, speaking to us, calling us out of darkness, establishing us in righteousness. So if you ask, what is God doing in the world? He doesn't much care what North Korea is doing in the world, if you want to know the truth. He doesn't much care what a lot of people are doing in the world, except as it impacts on what he's doing in the world. And what he's doing in the world is raising up a church. That's been his goal from the very beginning. He predestined a church. He predestined a holy people who would be completely sold out to him. It says, to the similarities of the image of his son, for him to be firstborn among many brethren. Now whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also made righteous. And whom he made righteous, these he also glorified. Talking about the church. He glorified the church. Making it righteous. This whole deal is about being made into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We always think of ourselves as individuals. And sometimes that's healthy. But at other times, that's very unhealthy. He wants us to move beyond thinking of ourselves as individuals and begin to recognize we are part of a body that Jesus foreordained would exist on the earth, that he planned for, that he predestined. He will have a righteous people, and they will be his bride. And you get to choose because you've been called. You get to choose whether you're going to walk in the world and the flesh and the devil or if you're going to seek righteousness with all of your heart and you're not going to turn aside to the left or to the right. And if you're honest with me today, you will agree. The devil has come to you with every possible lie and every possible temptation to draw you away from walking faithfully with the Lord God of heaven. 
because he does not want you to be a part of the elect, the church. He wants to destroy you. He hates you. So if he can bring some dancing beauty into your eyes that will lead you away from the body of Christ and lead you into wickedness, he'll do it. He'll do anything he has to do. He is a liar. He is a thief. He is a murderer. And the battle is on for our soul. I mean, what would you say today if you were able to jump in a time travel machine and you were able to go all the way back to the children of Israel and the decision is being made about whether or not they're going to worship the golden calf? Would you raise such a ruckus in that camp? And would you tell them, I know what happened. You're going to die if you do this. Would you warn them? And would you get in Aaron's face and say, Aaron, what are you thinking? Are you insane? You're setting up golden calves? Stop it! Same thing's happening today. The golden calf of prosperity. The golden calf of comfort. Of individualism. It's all being done again. This time in the birthing of the church to destroy your confidence in Jesus. The cry of my heart is to walk clean with Jesus. Matthew, the fifth chapter, Jesus is speaking. I'll begin with verse 43. You heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, you must love your enemies, must bless the ones cursing you, must do good to the ones hating you, and you must pray for the ones abusing you and persecuting you, so that you may be sons of your Father in the heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If in fact you may love the ones loving you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors the same? And if you may be fond of your friends only, what extraordinary thing are you doing? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Therefore you must be perfect as your Father in the heavens is perfect. Jesus is saying, look, you can't operate the the way the world operates. You can't love the way the world loves. We're called out. We're called the children of God. We're called to pursue righteousness. And the word of the Lord to us is be perfect. And then he's told us, I'll send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to struggle in you to bring you through the gates of righteousness into victory because he loves us. He wants us. If you look again at this woman caught in adultery, in the last verses in John, the eighth chapter, Jesus said, or she said to Jesus, no one, Lord, And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. 
You must go and stop sinning from now on. You must go and stop sinning from now on. Why would he say that? He meant for us to leave behind those things of darkness. Ephesians, fourth chapter, verse 22. Ephesians, fourth chapter, verse 22. I want you to hear this. That you are to put off once and for all concerning the former way of life, the old man, the one being depraved according to the designs of delusion, and to be new again in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new man. The word new here in the Greek means absolutely new, like this person never existed before. God wants to make you into a person that is unlike any other human being, that it is uniquely you. He wants to make you into a new person, the one having been created in conformity with God in righteousness and holiness and truth. So there's a mindset that I want to speak about briefly. For many years, I had a mindset that said, I'm a sinner saved by grace. So that's how I live. I'm a sinner, and I'm saved by grace. I want you to consider a totally different mindset. Consider that I am set free of sin and no longer walk in darkness. How's that for a personal statement? I am washed by the blood of Jesus. I am made clean by the blood of Jesus. I no longer walk in sin. So my expectation for tomorrow is that I will walk clean before God. My thought process is, I am looking at you, Jesus. I am asking your Holy Spirit to intercede with me, and I am asking that we could be in a love union with each other, that I would not allow Satan any access to lie to me and make any accusation against my spirit. I am not walking in condemnation. I am walking clean by the power of Jesus. I have been washed. I am now going to walk in Jesus as a statement of purpose. You see, before, I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's my statement of purpose. So now I'm going to go out and sin, and I'm going to say I'm covered by grace. I can't help myself. Well, what if I go out and say I am washed in the blood of Jesus? I'm clean. I'm not going to give way to the power of darkness that would come against me and cause me to sorrow in my heart, and cause me to be separated from Christ. I cannot afford to be separated from the love of Jesus Christ. I cannot afford it. It's too expensive. It drains away my energies. It drains away and puts 
roots of poison into my heart and into my soul. I can't afford those roots. I can't afford the depression that comes out of that. I can't afford the discouragement that comes out of that. I can't afford to get up in the morning and say, oh, it's another morning. You know, I've just got to endure. Are you kidding me? Yes, I'm enduring, but guess what? Jesus Christ is walking with me, and the Holy Spirit is in me, and I expect to walk clean by his blood, and I'm waiting for his deliverance. I have prayed. I am going to not be like the children of Israel who would not believe the promises of God. I believe the promises of God. Do you believe the promises of God? And are you willing in your heart to say, Jesus, I desire to walk through the gates of righteousness. I desire to be made righteous. And I'm standing by faith that you're now in the process of doing this in my life. And I am purposing not to serve the devil today in any respect. I give him short shrift. Get thou behind me, Satan. So that my whole mental outlook changes from, okay, I'm a mess. I know it. I'll just do my best today. Are you kidding me? I'm going to walk in faith. I'm going to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to trust him to do for me what needs to be done. Now, I'll tell you what will happen when you do that. You'll get a Holy Spirit facelift. Because suddenly the joy of the Lord begins to come in. And even though I'm crying, I'm weeping because of the anguish and the pain of walking out, as it says, I'm going to be tried in the fire. I have joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. I know what he's doing. He's bringing me through. He's made me promise after promise after promise. Is the God of heaven not going to keep his promise? Now, I've walked in the fire for many years. And the devil has done everything he could to turn me aside. I'm not going to turn aside. I'm going to walk straight forward, believing the delivering promises of God. So pull up your anchors. Do you have any anchors down in possessions or in old habits or in old ways? We're to be new creatures like you were never before. He wants to recreate you in newness. Boy, I've needed that new creation. The old creation of Ray was a mess. And all that I am, I give glory for. It wasn't me, it was Jesus. His purpose was to establish the children of Israel. That was the church of the Old Covenant. He's now establishing the church of the New Covenant. And it's very clear, he tells us, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves one with another. Let me read this for you again. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verse 19. 
Having therefore, brethren, confidence for the entrance into the holies by the blood of Jesus. A new and living way which he opened. Again, the word new. Unlike anything we've ever seen or known before. A living way which he opened for us through the curtain, that is his flesh. And having a great priest over the house of God, may we draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, our hearts having been sprinkled from an evil conscience and the body having been washed with pure water. May we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for the one having promised is faithful. And may we encourage one another. May we And may we consider one another to encourage love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And by so doing, much more as you see the day approaching. Why do we assemble? Because we're a part of the church. And the church is what God is doing in the world. When you're not in the church, you're going out and doing what you would like to do. And you're not pursuing the way of grace. We look small. But I want to tell you, the church of Jesus Christ is not small. Thousands have gone before us. Thousands upon thousands of witnesses before us who faced everything you faced, but they gained the victory and they walk through on the promises of God, and they have now gone to their reward. We're still on probation in the church. Your salvation is still probationary because our bodies have not yet been redeemed. I'm still in the old body. Somebody said this last week on the air. Once you've been born from above, you cannot be unborn. Well, you know what? They're right. But once you've been born from above, you can die. And the children of Israel died in the wilderness and their bodies were scattered over the wilderness and they never entered Cana land. Please. Don't die in the wilderness. We're in the wilderness now. Don't die in the wilderness. Stand by faith in the promise and the word of the living God of heaven, and he will deliver us safely to the other side. It's your choice. The glory of motherhood is that they give birth to little ones. And they don't desert those little ones. They nurture them. They discipline them. They train them. When daddy said to me, my little one has a strong will. And I got to deal with it. Mama won't deal with it. I have to deal with it. Put that right in the middle of the scriptures. It reads like the Bible. We all have strong wills, and they have to be dealt with. The glory of motherhood is that they never give up on their kids. 
They train them. They raise them up. God is not going to give up on his kids. He's going to keep nurturing. He's going to keep calling. And if you have a strong will, he's going to put you even more in the fire. Because the strong will is only broken by suffering. I said to this daddy, I think your little one came by it naturally. Kids are born like us, like mom and dad. I want to be like Jesus. So in your heart, lift up the church. Pray for the church. God is birthing a family that will live through eternity. And I don't want to die in the desert. Lord, thank you. Thank you for unfolding the reality that you have foreordained a people of God, that in your infinite wisdom and knowledge, you predestined a people, a holy people, who would be your bride. Lord, thank you. I bless your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother and my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Oh